In this episode of Rough Talks, we discuss the September meeting with Justin Harder. September's poster was designed by Justin Harder, printed by Texas Graphic Resource on 95-pound red plaque text provided by Nina Paper. Hi, welcome to Rough Talks. I'm your host, Ram Cirellas. I'm a motion graphic designer, and I'm also the vice president of the DSVC. Here with me today are... Brian Gradowski. I'm a founder and creative director of Colossal Creative. Um, I'm also Rough Editor-in-Chief. And I'm Alina Castillo. I'm a graphic designer at Beat by Brandy, and recently became a board member. I work with the special events team. So this past meeting, we had Justin Harder of Claw Studios, and he's um, a creative director out in Santa Monica and he you know I think a lot of people will recognize his work um, if they ever go to the movie theaters he's done Thor the Dark World in credits he's done the Book of Life in credits so he's uh, pretty well known so Justin really talked about how he you know he first started working here in Dallas and uh, decided to leave the company that he was working at because he felt like he wasn't growing as much. And the only way that he could really start to grow or grow beyond where he was at was to move to California. Yeah. And I'm interested to hear if you've ever plateaued and had to make a change. Well, I mean, his story was resonant to me in in the sense that I founded my own studio in, in the same kind of conundrum that he had. I felt a bit trapped in terms of what I could do or how I could contribute um, to the company that I was with. And I think his story, his, the, the, there was a lot to his story that was actually just very comical in that, you know, you tell it in a very nice way that he just quit, <laughs> he moved, or he, you know, he left it and moved. But he, he talked about how, you know, he built up the courage to storm in, to quit and, and throw it all away. And when he did, you know, his, his boss was like, hey, I've got, you know, I got to say my thing first and we got to let you go. So he was actually fired. And so mm-hmm. it just shows that not only was, it just shows what happens when your heart no longer is in the work you're doing in the space that you're doing it. Mm-hmm. Right. And so for me, you know, I didn't make such a grand gesture to to go to LA but for him and what he does it, it makes sense to be closer to Hollywood and to be closer to that but but the having the courage and and knowing when to do that um, is definitely something that that spoke to me mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and Alina I know that you're a little bit uh, newer and fresher out of school so um, how are you um, handling things with your work yes I graduated um, what a less than two years ago, and I started doing freelance um, right after school, and that was a little tough for me because it's um, starting a new project and just jumping in. They don't really give you a guide. Um, Sometimes you just have to be there for a few months and just pick up where the last person was at, so that's a little just, um, it doesn't give you a lot of freedom. And with my new position right now, I feel like I can create anything that I want, and the team is so little, and we're beginning and trying new things. You just get that creative freedom to do anything, and that's where I really, I'm really happy right now. I'm blessed to be there and just building new things and just learning a lot every single day. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. 
Yeah, and I think that's important, especially when you're when you first start out. Like it, you you stick with the company and you learn and you grow. But at some point, like it's good to. I heard someone say like it's good to stay with a company, but it's also good to leave a company. You just have to know when right. when that is and whether it it is. Um, you know, going to a different company or starting your own business. It's, right. it's realizing like, Hey, I've, you know, the only way that I can get to the next level is to, to leave. And, you know, Justin did that. I mean, he did great work here in Dallas and then he left and, you know, I'm seeing him on my newsfeed, you know, yeah. every, every so often. So he's really, you know, stepped it, was able to step it up. Um, well, and I think the other thing is too, you know, I tell the story about his story, recanting his story of how he you know, came in and was like, quote, fired. But when he talks about the, the dialogue with his boss in that context, his boss was like, this isn't a good place for you. Like it was a, it was coming from a positive place, mm-hmm. you know? And I think so, so much of it is, you know, don't have the mentality of, you know, what can I get out of this place before I can leapfrog out someplace else? But just having a mutual understanding of when you, when it's time for you to grow outside of that space. And it shows how good of a relationship that he had with his current position and that his boss could see that as well. Right. Mm -hmm. And that he still has a working relationship with that company after all those years. So the fact to be able to, to leave a studio and then turn around and do work for them in a different capacity later on shows that you truly understood their culture, you were part of it, you contributed, and you left on good terms. And I think that's mm-hmm. a lot. I think some people are a little short-sighted and when they're, you know, when they go out the door or when they think they see something shinier somewhere else and they don't quite understand that it's about developing your skill, your craft. And, and that's what really should drive when you make that transition. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. I think, you know, before getting into his work and all that, just the idea that he talked a lot about really the courage and the anxieties of even, even just going out to California. He talked mm-hmm. about how he made 7K his first year, right? And he didn't know if he was going to, like, how he was going to eat if he made a mistake, right? Mm-hmm. And if he should come back. And uh, hearing him talk about the commitment of, you know, I did this. This is, this, is, this is what it takes to do the thing I love. And committing to that and the hardship of that when he didn't have to. Right. He, he knew that he needed to do that to be where he is today. Mm-hmm. Um, it for me, it helped me understand the tenacity that he took with pitches and opportunities. But it just really spoke to me as a business owner to, you know, when you're going into a market, whether it be a, a kind of client base or a geographical market, like a different state to understand the courage that takes. He also talked about how straight out of school is really just a new world and it is hard and I felt like just speaking to those students a lot of them think that it's um they don't know really what to expect and what he said was that um his first year straight out of school it was a little tough but then you see his work now and it's just like you have to keep building on that and just keep growing and it is a lot of just who you know and your friends and like now he's working with one of his best friends so yeah. just keeping that in mind that sometimes the people that you go to school with is also the people that you're going to be working with in the future and just have faith and you're going to get there. Yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and it's funny. Uh, uh, he had a story where his, 
his girlfriend at the time actually got a job first and you know was at these happy hours that the company would have and they're like oh hey what do you do oh i, I do i do art direction and design I'm like really huh and so i think it's really like putting yourself out there and um always always being ready so if someone were to say oh hey you that's what you do let me see your work and if you're in a position where you're like uh you know my website's not up yet or it's not ready and it's like well you just missed out on an opportunity you never know um and maybe something would have come from it or maybe you wouldn't have or you know um it's just always being prepared for that opportunity and then once somebody gives you that that foot in the door you know you kick it open and then you kick ass and take names yeah yeah <laughs> that was something he said a few times is if you're apologetic about your site or your marketing as it stands right now like that is not a place of confidence like you can't go into a conversation or network and expect to have confidence um and that you should always have that in your back pocket and that was something that came up a couple of times in his talk and mm -hmm. it's yeah, it's kind of understood. We all know it, but how how many of us keep up with that? It's it's not a one time thing. It's something that we always have to do. So, mm -hmm. um, just you know, anytime someone that comes in that's exceptional and they always say that, it just reinforces how important it is. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I know a lot of people that still have their sites in development, and it's always funny to like go to their sites and it's like. Oh, it's well, new stuff. It's the <laughs> cobbler's wife shoes, right? You're the last to do. You're the last to take care of yourself, right? Right. You know. So. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We can. He. I want to touch on like keeping your work clean, um, like the way that he has to pass it off to production, and mm -hmm. he has like all these layers, and he has to name them properly for all the other designers that are grabbing it. Yeah, and well, I think that's, um, so Justin talked about how, um, you know, he, since he does these designs, eventually, especially if he wins the pitches, he has to turn them over, and he makes it a point to always make sure that they are usable, rather than doing, like, you know, if it's a movie not doing a 360 by 240, you know thumbnail or whatever like actually workable files um i i mean i had the distinct <laughs> pleasure of sitting next to you in the meeting <laughs> ramsey and i i remember hearing some groans from you and some ahs when he was talking about having to res up or making sure things were in proper resolutions when they were made mm -hmm, mm -hmm. yeah and i think from my standpoint like i tend to work with a lot of uh, design agencies or design studios and ad agencies um that may not focus on working in uh you know media in movies and animation so a lot of times um yeah uh i can spend a full day just um reorganizing files yeah. and raising you know making sure that the proper size and making sure that like that they're named properly and all yeah. that so it's uh but also working with someone like Justin that actually has that, who's working in that mentality at the beginning, then it makes everything a lot better. And it's just a cleaner pipeline. And I'm sure it's similar to uh, web development. You know, you oh, want to make sure, sure. You, for sure you have your files all nice and neat. For sure. You know, and, and there's something, 
you know, we bring in people that speak <clears throat> in their expertise, and sometimes we get like the the neurotic savant, right? The person that's just amazing, but they kind of don't know how they're amazing. And then sometimes we get people who are highly highly talented, but you can still tell there's profession uh, or professionalism there. Excuse me. Mm -hmm. And Justin's in that realm. So. And I think a big part of that is you look at the work he does, and I just assumed it was like a 15-person studio. I just assumed there's like a whole room full of people just trudging away at these animations. But a lot of these projects are two to three people. And so you can be at the top of the food chain there. You can be the one driving the creative. But if you don't have the professionalism to build things properly and to work with a team cohesively, mm -hmm. then it's just going to fall apart. And I think that's one of the reasons he's able to be so lean, like so small and be so effective is because you can do stunning creative work and still be a professional about it. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, a lot of, a lot of the cliches are that creatives are just messy and kooky and can't handle those things. But no, we can do that and do exceptional things and, you know, name layers, <laughs> build something right. It's not, you know, right. it, I, I think in a lot of ways it's honoring the craft. You know, just mm -hmm. doing it right. Um, yeah, and I think, so jumping off of that, what you said, you know, it is a lot of the, the stuff that he does is with the small crew. Um, he also jumped on the point when he pitched for Thor, mm -hmm. you know, that they were going with um, the the company that he was contacted by, uh, Blur Studios. They had, um, I think, like two or three other concepts, but they were all 3D CG focused and they brought him in to go for, you know, the lower end um, price-wise as far as, you know, what it would cost to actually make it. And that's one of the reasons why, you know, he he is cheaper because it's not as many people. You right. don't need a, like you said, a 15-person uh, crew to do 3D animation. You know, you just have to have a really cool style and art direction and then someone that can springboard off of that and interpret that and animate it um so yeah um yeah I, I agree he was talking about thor variations of like electricity and running through them and stuff and as exciting as they are they're not sophisticated solutions it's like oh well that's the thing you think of right and so it's doing more with less Right. Mm -hmm. It's letting the creative drive, not the budget, not the amount of people you have. And I think for him, the reason he gets work is he does commit at a lower price point. But I think one of the things that makes it more exceptional is like if you're doing something in print and you only have two colors, right? You have to extend yourself to be creative with two colors. Mm -hmm. Right. If you have eight eight color press or even just four color process, you just immediately are like, Oh, I'm gonna start throwing photos everywhere. Like you by having less, you those constraints, it goes back to constraints and creative, he naturally has built-in constraints based on his scale. And I think he uses it to his advantage. Mm -hmm. And sometimes I do feel like um, he's won a lot of the pitches because he has the person that has the face of his um, small agency. So somebody that can sell his project. And I don't, I don't think he was there for that pitch. Somebody else came in and... The Thor one? Yes. Yeah, I think someone pitched on behalf of him, yeah. So just mm -hmm. having someone to believe in your work and just sell it to someone, even if you're not there, and then call you later and say, hey, you got the pitch. I mean, just stuff like that. And just sometimes you have to stay away from, like, the CG because sometimes the movie 
might be all CG and like he talked about when he's doing 2D um, animations, it's just something to, um, just a different view and it's going to keep you interested throughout the film and th from the beginning to the end credits and having just two colors, it's so simple but it has an impact and having red, black or gray and all the brushes that you have to use. He also talked about how um, it was such a big file that he had to break into every single brush stroke so the animators could go back in and add it. And that to me was just amazing because you have to go in there and do your work differently. You have to break it off and have all these different layers. Um, it was just something that I really felt um, interesting and really spoke to what I could be doing and like personal projects you also talked about. Um, mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. just learning and I think he's going to be a lot bigger <laughs> than he already is. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Sure. Yeah, I think he um, afterwards uh, we had um, a dinner and he, he I think he was saying that he uh, has been invited to uh, a couple of other conferences that are like outside the U.S. So he is starting to, oh, nice. to speak more. So yeah. Um, so the DSVC's reputation of getting people before they get too big. There we go. <laughs> that's, how we, that's how we do. Yeah. 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 I think for me, the big takeaway on Thor The Dark World was just, um, I guess, how difficult Chris Helmsworth's nostrils are. <laughs> right? How many, how many yeah, uh, revisions yeah. did he have to go through on the, on the nostrils? You've got to just keep making those nostrils smaller. Um, you know, <clears> so <throat> I thought that was a funny little tidbit how... Um, you still got uh, the right angle. <laughs> yep, you just got to get it just right. And he was stylistically, he had a more impressionist kind of style painting, and they didn't like that you couldn't see Chris Helmsworth's pretty face. So, <laughs> so that, so there's quite a bit more detail when it came to that. And I just thought it was, I thought that was kind of a funny little tidbit. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. mm -hmm. So going back to um, him pitching work, um, one of the things that he talked about was how. Sometimes he's in the room able to pitch the work and some and there's been a few times where he hasn't been and it's always uh, a mixed bag or like um you know that that there's been quite a few times where someone else pitches his work and it doesn't land mm -hmm. um and he talked about like um the pitches for Ant-Man which Ironically, our one of our speakers last year <laughs> did the end credits for Ant Man, so right. uh, we know who he lost out to. <laughs> but um, just you know, being able to pitch your own work and um, sell it to your client, I think, is uh, very important. And being able to be in that room and explain it, um, you know. No one else can really explain your work better than you can. Mm -hmm. So you have to be able to, to do that. Um, yeah. yeah, I mean, that, that. I think whether it be motion graphics or anything, the, the challenge, especially in a junior capacity, like I know he works with larger studios, so he can be as senior as possible, and you're still not going to be the head person in the room. And so people are going to take that work and, and pitch it on behalf of you. But I know in a junior capacity... I'd get so frustrated with creative directors that would come in and, you know, yeah, we did this UI or, you know, here's your new brand approach. And it's like, well, why does it look this way? Well, you know, that's what we do. And it's like, no, there's a story there. Right. There there's was an idea story. and thought process. Yes. Yeah. Why being able to explain why 
you decided to do the things that you did. Right, right. Being on the flip side of that, I try to be a benevolent creative director <laughs> and, and, and whenever possible, actually bring designers in the room that did the work. Um, mm -hmm. Because I think one thing that the idea of being a protectionist or not having confidence in your people to speak on behalf of the work is something that just kind of plagues marketing, advertising, motion graphics, whatever it might be. And so that's one thing I try and do. And if I can't, I just try to communicate with that designer to understand what the intention is so that mm -hmm. I don't come in and just throw some things up and walk out of the room. So when he was talking about that, I, I definitely felt his pain. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And like you said, to give the work justice because um, you have the designers building beautiful work, like um, the stuff that he did for Book of Life. They already had a concept, so um, just giving that work the honor that it needs and not having your own idea and trying to spin it off into it's going to be my new and amazing work. You have to keep in mind that there's a story and you have to keep that same style that they have mm -hmm. um, and just expanding on that and making it just unique, your mm -hmm. own takeaway, but keeping that in mind that it's the movie. Yeah, and I, I think that's... That's for so that's uh, can be applied to anything else beyond just uh, you know movies and motion graphics because um, I remember working on a project and uh, one of one of the creatives was like oh hey well, we should do like this cool like ink splatter and and all this and um, it but the the commercial or the ad was for a bank and I was like that it doesn't make sense <laughs> so you have to like you have to respect the client you have to respect their branding guidelines and what they're about and really and build off of that and if you can build off of their essence then it's a lot easier to sell um, but if you just come with something that cool for the sake of cool just for your own gratification uh, sometimes it's a lot it typically it's a lot harder to sell that than than something that has a little bit more thought behind it. Absolutely. I mean, I think Justin's in the, he's in the realm of creatives that have incredibly high confidence, but humble egos. That's the difference. There are a lot of creatives that have very, very high egos and their work has to be a reflection of them in their current state, regardless of what it's being built for. Mm -hmm. And especially for what he does, which is titling for other for movies. He's not making the movie, right? He's not establishing the style, the CG of the title sequence that he's complimenting, right? So to have confidence that you're going to do a great job and that you have the talent to be the right person for the job, but to have a humble enough ego to, as you were saying, Alina, honor the artist that's already there, right? Reflect their style. That's something that a lot of creatives miss. They don't get that. And mm -hmm. so many times, I just feel like that's a theme of the people that we bring in so many times to get on that level. You have mm -hmm. to have that balance because removing your ego doesn't mean you think less of yourself, mm -hmm. right? You still have that confidence. You still put your heart and soul into it, but knowing that you're an extension of somebody else's creative in, in that capacity, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a, it's a fine line and you don't want to just do... You don't want to do something that's com how do I say this something that's completely for the client, um, because in the end they are coming for you for your certain perspective. So you do need to put a bit of yourself in there, but it's always your perspective on what they are. Very, 
Very true. Yeah. There's so, a balance for mm-hmm. sure. So he also showed um um the end credits for Book of Life, which looking looking at what he did on Book of Life and then he also worked on the end credits for Deadpool, he talked about the differences of like ways to approach end credits. So with Book of Life it was very much like a a not necessarily a retelling, but like recapping um the movie in a way mm-hmm. while with deadpool was completely like let's go completely different from from the movie but keep still keeping deadpool the crazy guy that he is you know mm-hmm. playing a saxophone over some jazz music you know so um i mean uh, there's definitely it, those two movies i think are are the are the quintessential of each style but the, the kind of the approach of do we show kind of some of the narrative of the movie or do we just show the personality of the movie or the characters in the movie? And I thought it was really interesting that it's like you said, it's not just a recap. It's really kind of hitting the nostalgia of a thing you literally just saw. Mm -hmm. Right. So it's recapping. So in book of life, it was all these key moments um, or key character combinations, you know, that made you instantly touch into the emotion that you felt when you were watching the movie, not, but, an hour before when you were viewing that moment for the first time. So I thought that that was a really, you know, understanding the depth of that, that you're not just, oh, what are the steps in the movie? Let me animate it. But identifying kind of those points of nostalgia and creating a little narrative around that. And I thought that was pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And what I remember about him talking about, like, the end credits of Book of Life is that... um Sometimes you, like, he had already an animation, and they came in and said, we have to put these names first. So his whole concept that he already had had to be changed to fit what the client was asking for. And then they also switched the songs. (laughs) That was another thing, because then you have to time it perfectly so it flows um, with the animatics and the the motions and it's just having that um just switching your whole thing you have to not start over but it is a lot more work that you have to put into Mm -hmm. and like in deadpool um it was more of his own story and they built around that with the credits so that was a lot and another takeaway how some studios give you um they basically said we love this idea just keep it the same and make fun of the people that are uh, being, like, have their name up there, their credits. Mm-hmm. Riff on it's that, just yeah. two different views, and it's interesting. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, and, um, you know, just jumping more into Deadpool, I thought it was really, he really started digging into, like, the how he ended up um, with the solution that he came up with, and he showed um, some never before seen um stills very exclusive it well he and it was funny well when i picked him up from the airport he was like oh yeah i like i just put them up up on my website so they they're just now being shown um so the whole the whole idea with deadpool kind of started from um this idea of of these flash animations that were very popular back in like the late nineties. Yeah. Where these, way back when, <laughs> way back when these stick figures, they were like super violent, but super like intricately animated. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and how he you know they went from that to um you know this drawing that Deadpool did of himself and like combining the two and that that kind of like just just seeing that process was very interesting i I will say my mind was blown when he when he revealed that he was drawing Deadpool as Deadpool would draw Deadpool because the illustrative style was based on the drawing shown in the movie when he's showing mm-hmm. that he's going to decapitate these two men and he does this little child's drawing. And, you know, I remember seeing the drawing. It's, it's a fun plot device. It, 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 you know, ties into his character's nature. But then when you actually look at the illustration, you're like, holy shit, it's exactly like the end sequence. Uh-huh. And you really make the connection that, yeah, the, these are this is Deadpool drawing his own gags or how he sees himself. Um, mm-hmm. That just added depth. That I don't I don't know if anybody in the theater got that, <laughs> but I, I feel like I'm like in on an inside joke now. You know that he revealed that um, mm-hmm. because he also mm-hmm. did that drawing, mm-hmm. right? The right. drawing that Deadpool holds up um, in that. So just like Ryan Reynolds is perfect for Deadpool, I think Justin Harder is perfect for Deadpool animation and title sequence. (laughs) He really personified a lot of the personality, even in the way that he spoke. And, and I was just blown away that, uh, I mean, with the help of many people, but a lot of the gags were him. Mm -hmm. You know, I just assume he animated it and there was some raunchy SNL writer, you know, doing all that stuff. But he, a lot of the gags in the sequences were his ideas. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I was really impressed by that. Yeah. I mean, it, um, well, it, it it was a team of, you know, sitting with the director and the director's uh, wife um, and the animator and all that. They just, it, it seemed very much like a, like a SNL writing room. They're like, what if we do this? Yeah. What if we do this? You know, and, you know, the director was T.J. Miller. So they're like, oh, what if we just put like Tug Job underneath? Yeah. <laughs> Tug Job <laughs> Miller. And so like just things like that was, uh, that, that was fun to hear. Um, but yeah. Yeah, the creative process there, for sure, just sounds like it was a joy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And um, he did say that he got his little fame uh, of being Deadpool when he got to film that video in Mexico. Oh, so yes. So he actually was Deadpool for a second. Yeah. Or, and dancing around with the costume. That's right. And he's, I think, the same height or something. Like yeah, this is the, the, the first speaker that the DSVC had that's been... Uh, actual superhero. Oh, yeah. <laughs> or anti-hero. Anti-hero. Or <laughs> whatever we want to call Deadpool, per se. Yeah, yeah so yeah, it was uh, interesting. He, he, there is a um, commercial for um, this Mexican chocolate that they were doing with uh, with Deadpool, and apparently Ryan Reynolds wasn't available. And so they're like, hey, Justin, you wanna, do you want to wear the costume? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Phenomenal. And I think he was talking, I already forgot the figure, but it was well beyond what I would have ever anticipated. He was talking about how nervous he was not to tear it or even like move incorrectly in it because it was so expensive and so many people were needed to make the costumes. So. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And it was funny, um, you know, just talking to him before the, before the meeting, um, he was saying that, you know, before they were before they started filming, they, you know, all the guys were like, hey, do you need to use the restroom? Use the restroom. You, you need to use the restroom right now. <laughs> do you know how long it's going to take to put you into the suit and or take you out of the suit if you need to use the restroom? 
It just goes back to Hollywood movie magic. We just assume they suit up in like five minutes in a bathroom and out they go. Well, you, you have the cool montage, like the right. belts clicking, like, nope, nope, it takes nope. forever. <laughs> takes forever. Takes forever. Yeah. Uh, so always make sure you use the restroom before you put on a superhero costume. That's the takeaway. Yep. It's important stuff. Yeah. Very and um, I remember that he did say that they didn't think it was going to do too well because another movie was coming out at the same time. I forget Zoolander what. 2. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So yep. he said that actually uh, Ryan Reynolds started posting, I think, a poster on Instagram, with, like images of him holding up the costume or stuff like that. And that really got this whole fan base. And they did amazing at the premiere. So um, I think that's sometimes you have to hit into like things that other people are doing like social media and um just um it's really cheap to promote on social media and just the movie did a whole lot better than they were expecting yeah and it's a i love the movie so <laughs> i don't know why they would uh yeah it was a they, they the way that they promoted it was very interesting just, just um in general like i remember seeing I think Ryan Reynolds posted a video after Halloween about him trick-or-treating with a group of yeah. X-Men kids <laughs> really? yeah. Yeah. in his Deadpool costume. He was just like making fun of all the, the, the kids dressed as like Cyclops or, right. you know, Wolverine. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it's, it, it's, it's interesting. It, well, it's hard to do anything fresh now because so many people are doing it. I think the reason Deadpool's kind of, you know, guerrilla marketing, if you will, worked is because it was authentic. Like that wasn't, yes, I'm sure that was planned and someone's idea, but that wasn't an overly staged scripted thing with probably child actors that like, that was probably Ryan Reynolds running around in some neighborhood making fun of little kids. Like that's <laughs> legit. And I think a big part of it is his personality he brought to those kinds of adverts and just genuinely wanting to promote like you actually felt like he loved being that character mm -hmm. and he loved promoting it and so that's just something that i think was really refreshing a lot of people in, in, in promotions now it just feels so scripted you see anything viral and you're like oh it's fake like mm -hmm. that's your immediate reaction is to doubt its um, authenticity and i think ryan and the things that he was doing um and really just the marketing team in general you could really tell they just were having fun you know? mm -hmm. And so you want to have fun with them and laugh with them, and so that really worked. And the fact that the the um, the romance billboards—I don't know if you saw those—where they totally made it look like a romance movie, oh, yeah, yeah. With the, you know—and so you could tell they they weren't taking themselves too seriously, <laughs> and that's that was really charming. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Like yeah. again, they did justice to that character and to the story. Yeah, it was good. It was good stuff. And and one thing too, with like the the flash animations, the stick guys. There were a lot of executions in in that style, mm -hmm. and a lot of the style that made it to in production was by Justin's doing. And I think that was something just to go back to him, his work, his pitching. The idea is you get the foot in the door, over deliver. You know, do one for them, do one for you. And mm -hmm. that was absolutely a theme I felt in a lot of his pitches was that I'm going to listen to the client. I'm going to do what the client you know, feels they need or, or where it's at, but I'm going to, you know, Ramsey, to your point, don't not put yourself into it. He would put himself into one concept a little bit more. And by showing up with more than was asked, he mm -hmm. had the opportunity to have more influence in the project. Yeah. So I thought that for me anyways, regardless if it's motion graphics or whatever, 
doing one for them and one for you in a pitch is a, is a good philosophy. It just, you know, why do one pitch when you can do two for twice the work, right? You know, but <laughs> it's like, it's a lot of work. It's a lot of late it nights. Is, it it takes a lot of hustle and grit to do something like that. But, but you could tell in, not just in Deadpool, but in other circumstances that he would do one for them and one for him. And I, that really spoke to me. Any final thoughts? He did say do, do something that you love every single day. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't matter. Like he does Instagram uh, little doodles and I always follow that. And it's like if you do something every single day, it's going to keep adding up. And you see the whole, um, like if you step back, you see all this work that you've done and how much you've grown. And I think that can speak to anyone, young professionals, even someone right now in a studio might be thinking, I could do something better or let me do my own work, like do a pitch for them and a pitch for me. And just, you're going to keep growing. It's really exciting to see how far you can go. And he's a perfect example for, of that. And mm-hmm. that really um, yeah, keeps my, my hopes up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think, it, you know, Justin is really big on self-promotion um, on social media and his website and such. And just putting all of his stuff out there, um, you know, and he, he touched about it. I think one of the interesting things that he touched upon was having his own intellectual property. Yeah, that's true. Um, and not just working quote unquote for the man, um, but developing his own stuff, um, that may, you may see in a book or a graphic novel or, um, a VR game or whatever, mm-hmm. um, you know, is important as well. Just as important as working on a client's work. That, I mean, yeah, I mean, not to understate that, that was actually a really big part of his talk. He showed a lot of his own personal, um, like his properties, if you will, his own personal ideas. Um, the idea, and I think that, I think that has a lot of, precedent and value with animators and character designers. I mean, that was a theme with Jorge. Jorge starting off creating characters for other animations or just animating and then building those into his own worlds and his own IP and then turning that into him writing and animating and doing it. He's a little further down that path than Justin is. And you can tell Justin's laying the foundation of that. Mm -hmm. He, He has ideas, he has concept sketches and characters and things that you're right. We could see a show you know, written and directed by him on Nickelodeon in a few years' time because he's laying foundations. He's creating characters and worlds outside of the work that he's doing for for clients. Um, and to your point, Alina, um, he's always creating. And that's another... Uh, Timothy Goodman, Goodman uh, Keetra Dean Dixon, you know, other people would bring in. Something's happening every day. They're posting every day on Instagram. They're doing something every day. So part of it's the promotion aspect of that. And then part of it is just tooling the craft, you know, always creating. And the volume of work that these people create is just astonishing, right? It's almost, mm-hmm. it's almost intimidating just to look at it, but we look at it in a whole. Like we, we go to an Instagram feed and we look at months and months at a time. And to break it down into giving it 30 minutes a day or an hour a day, um, it's we can all do that, but when we look at the amount of content these these people create, it's just it's daunting, but in a in a pretty amazing way. And and Justin was was I mean I went to his site and he for everything he showed us there were like twenty other 
different series of character designs or illustration things that he didn't even have a chance to show mm -hmm. because he's got so many different projects and side things that he's doing. Oh, cool. Well, that's it for today. Uh, this is Ramsey. Brian. Alina. And thank you for listening. That's because you spilled my beer. Yeah. Yeah. He spilled my beer. He went to go get another one. And the whole time he was out, he was like, Ramsey, Ramsey, Ramsey. Yeah. So Ramsey had no idea he was getting riffed. I know. His computer was I just, know. I guess, messing up or something. Um, well, he, he was pushing too hard on the trackpad. And so it, it would pop up the definition. if you. Oh. So he was he force, force clicking. Touching. Yeah, he was, oh, force, he was touching. force touching. Oh, I wonder if he doesn't have a force touch. Big thanks go out to Glenn Ferguson for our intro music and real effects for donating the recording space. Be sure to subscribe and rate us on iTunes. And thank you for listening.